man, what's going on in your life? When you go to Walmart, empty out a can of Pringles, fill it with wine, take the electric cart, you know, that usually disabled people take, and take that cart, drinking the Pringles can full of wine for hours, as this says, and ride it around the Walmart parking lot. Why not just grab the bottle and drink the bottle, you know, take it to the head? But to fill the Pringles can with the wine and then drink from the Pringles can several times, that's a lot of wine. She had to be blasted, man. And then to come to find out that, you know, the police officers came by, found her at a nearby restaurant, and just told her that she's banned from the Walmart. That's all we know, that she was banned from the Walmart. She wasn't arrested, just banned from the Walmart. So when I add all this, these things up together, this was in Texas at a Walmart. Pringles can full of wine. Lady doesn't get arrested, just told not to go to Walmart again as she was driving an electric cart around the Walmart parking lot drunk. Yeah, she had to be a white lady. And I can see her now with like a shower cap on and a bathrobe. This makes no sense. Use your head. I know what you think. It's thinking like that that keeps the world the way it is. Especially when you're thinking of a master plan. Big man. Tell us what's on your mind. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Mind of Med podcast, episode two. I'm your host, Big Med. Today on the show, I'm talking to my money expert, Janai Thornton. She'll be talking about the government shutdown and how that is affecting all these government employees. Also, I'm talking to Creed 2 director, Stephen Capel Jr., and I'm talking to my girl, Pinky, who's the owner of Slutty Vegan, one of the most popular vegan restaurants in America. I'm just telling you how it is. It is a huge success. She opened up her first store this weekend, and I got a chance to go there for a soft open and talk to her about her huge success. But first, let me tell you what's on my mind. Uh, let's let's talk about my man, Chris Pratt. For those who don't know him, he plays in Guardian of the Galaxy, also Avengers, and also Jurassic Park. Yes, so he is a movie star, and he loves Jesus. Yes, he is a Christian right now. He's promoting the fact that he's on his Daniel fast, which is like 21-day fast where he doesn't get to eat much of anything other than like water and nuts and berries and things of that nature. Anyways, he got divorced about a, a year and a half ago from Anna Faris, who's another actress and now he's engaged to Catherine Schwarzenegger yes the daughter of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver and they've been dating for like six months and whenever I see a devout Christian date and then get engaged real quick that means to me they've been celibate yes sir because you know he's he's been married he's had sex before but now he's a Christian he doesn't want to have sex outside of marriage and when I see somebody start dating get engaged and I promise you, they'll be married by May. They're going to be married. Mark my words, Chris Pratt and Catherine Schwarzenegger will be married by May because he hasn't had sex in a while. He is ready to have sex. He's like, I'm going to try to do this the Lord's way. So, you know, we're going to put this off, but we're going to get engaged and we're going to go get married. I, I, I believe he loves her too, of course. But, you know, I'm just saying, when you start dating and get engaged that fast, that's love and, and, and heat and heat. So whenever you see your pastors or, or Christian celebrities out here, gospel artists just dating and dating the same person for a while, they're probably not worried about that. Okay? All right. Let's get started with the show, shall we? My first guest is my money expert, Janai Thornton, and we're talking about the government shutdown and what these government employees are going to do with no paycheck. You know, when it comes to this whole government shutdown, I wanted to talk about it, but I wanted to have somebody in here that's knowledgeable about things, about how government shutdown affects us on a financial level, especially the government workers 
who aren't seeing paychecks now. So I got my girl Janai Thornton in the building. How you doing, Janai? Good, Med. Happy to be here. Mind of Med. Yes, Mind of Med podcast episode two. Two. Yes. It's, and, and, and look here, Janai is a, a CPA. She is a money. Uh, what, what what do we call you? A, a, a money expert is good. A money expert. Yeah, that's okay. just money expert. I, I like I like that. So yeah. Janai will be on here plenty of times in the future when I have any questions about money because I I, I definitely will. But today I want to talk about the government shutdown. And um, you know, first of all, we know about all the like eight hundred thousand workers that are not getting paid right now. Right, over and twenty how, days. And and we're twenty four, twenty five days now. Right. Is there any way that they can possibly? Are they getting? Are they getting money? Are they getting money retroactively? Like what? What's going on with the workers? Well, you know, what's interesting is you know there's a difference between being furloughed and then laid off. Okay. Right. So the majority of what we're hearing about are folks who are being furloughed, meaning you still have a job. Right. Um, government's not paying you. And some of you are actually still required to come to work regardless. And so it's interesting how they determine who must show up and who doesn't have to show up. Mm -hmm. But you are. You're talking about people who have received pay stubs that literally just say zero. Wow. Yeah. And so I don't know if people are really thinking about that, that for 24 days mm-hmm. in this shutdown, people have not been paid. So if you have people are like, well, you know, I would just use my vacation now so I can get paid. You can't do that. That doesn't work either. Doesn't work either. So all the little workarounds and people are like, well, you know, I would just apply for unemployment. That only applies for certain people, wow. because if you're still required to show up for work, you may not be eligible to receive unemployment. So it's like, what the heck are people supposed to do? Meanwhile, life is still happening. Right. You know, rent hasn't changed, food, daycare, kids in college. Like people are living real lives. And it's just really bothers me how we have lost sight of the fact that adults who had real jobs um, can't pay their bills right now. And and so when we when we have this problem going on, what what do they do? Is there a way we have talked about in the past off, you know, offline, we've talked about ways of calling your creditors, right. calling bill collectors, working things out with them. If you're just having a hard time paying a bill right. uh, under normal circumstances. So what can they do, the government workers who aren't getting paid? Do you think that they can call and maybe say, hey, this is what's going on. I can't pay because I'm not getting paid. This is what I'm suggesting that people do. Number one, whoever you live with, um, even if you live with children, you all need to have a meeting. Because obviously this is impacting everyone in the house. So I'm not talking about little toddlers like your son's age. But, you know, if you have kids who kind of understand because all of you collectively going to have to make some changes. So anytime you get terminated, get laid off, something abruptly happens and your income stops. Now you all need to come together as a team. Um, Second thing that you need to do is you want to contact everybody that you owe money to on a regular basis. So, of course, it might be your landlord or your mortgage company. But I think you you need to call your gas company. You need to call your cell phone company. You need anybody who you cannot afford to pay and you don't want to risk your credit or risk your relationship. Because at a minimum, you want them to at least update your file to say, hey, this is one of the people who've been impacted. They can either pay this amount or they can't pay anything at all right now. Right. Yeah. And you and I had a, we we talked about this also about the people that are renting or mor- mortgages. Right. You were saying that you know if you're you know a mortgage is from a bank, you know you know they can probably say we got you right you know, here's a couple months. But if you're renting from another citizen, another individual, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like that person might be like, I can't go a month or two 
without getting rent from you. And, and I think that's what people are forgetting about is the snowball effect of all of this. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You could be renting a house from a regular working person who owns one or two houses and there's a mortgage on that house. Like right. they still have to pay that bill. Right. And I mean, I would want to be uh, um, sympathetic and as flexible as I can. But you're talking about now other people who are having some really serious problems who have nothing to do with the government at all. And let's talk about everybody who maybe not the non-government workers. Right. How does this government shutdown affect us? Because I've been hearing about, well, you know, taxes aren't going to come back. Right. Then we talk to an IRS um, worker who's not getting paid, right. but she has to come to work so that we can get her taxes. You know, it's funny. When I came to the radio station um, today, one of the people who work here said, you know, I tried to call the IRS today, and the recording says, basically, we don't have anyone to take your call right now. Wow. So um, if you have IRS questions, you probably aren't going to get them answered right now Man. because the telephone lines aren't being manned at the same capacity as normal, number one. Um, Number two, if you do expect a refund, um, I know that they're saying that they're going to have people there to process refunds. But with this number of days in the shutdown, I think people need to live their life like there is going to be a delay in getting your refund. Don't be like, oh, I filed. It's going to be here in a week. Maybe, maybe not. Man. Yeah. So, again, here we go with that ripple effect, with this snowball effect. And it's going to continue. Man, I appreciate you coming to just break it down for us because, like I said, there's a lot of a lot of people who still got a lot of questions, and then we know again the eight hundred thousand people who aren't getting paid right now. And then didn't we talk to a contractor, right, who said they don't get? Um, I I am so glad you brought them up. So uh-huh. this is the good news. So when everyone, Congress and the president can get on the same page, right. what they're going to do with the furlough people if Congress passes it, and they typically do. Um, they will retroactively go back to the day that the shutdown started and just catch people up on their pay. Right. That does not apply to contractors. And what do you mean? By, what do we mean by contractor? So a contractor is someone who has been hired. Uh huh. They work for the government, but they're not an employee of the government. Oh. So they're not. They've been furloughed, but they might not get that retroactive pay. So now you're thinking about because you're thinking, okay, this really sucks, but I will be able to get back on my feet when I just get this big check. You got people who they are going to miss this income, period. And we need to talk about that because we have people, you know, um, you have a significant portion of the government workforce, like um, over 30 percent who are contractors. Yeah. And in each department, the Department of Defense, Department of whomever each department can make the decision if they're going to pay contractors or not. They don't have to. Man, it, it's it's amazing how this this one decision again, you know, for a wall against a wall for a wall is 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 impeding so many people's lives. Right. And on top of that, with TSA, there's there's things you know sliding through the cracks right now that. Again, what the wall is supposed to do is protect American citizens, right. but American citizens are suffering because of this government shutdown. So mm-hmm. I really don't know what Congress is trying to do because they're getting paid. Right. The president's getting paid. Right. But, you know, you know, for the average you know, American citizen, they just have to you know, deal with it until they figure it out, which is a sad case. Yeah, and it is because at the end of the day, the government's job is to protect the people. And they're not. And they're not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. 
Jenna, how do we find you on social media? So anyone have any financial questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at Jenna Thornton. That's J-I-N-I-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. Look here, President Trump. Go ahead, open up the government, get with Congress, and figure this thing out. And stop serving national champions fast food. It's just a bad look. Y'all see that President Trump went ahead and had the Clemson Tigers come to the White House. He blamed the government shutdown for why he couldn't serve them a catered meal. So he bought out of his own pocket a whole bunch of fast food, which I heard by the time it was served was cold. Come on. End this government shutdown. Enough's enough. Now here's my conversation with Stephen Capel Jr., director of Creed 2. I have to say, you know, congratulations to all the success of, of Creed 2, which is in theaters right now. It's killing the box office. Just how does it feel to have a, uh, a monster movie like this, man? You, you know what? I haven't even thought about it in that perspective that it's killing the box office. <laughs> um, it, it feels good, I guess. I've been so, like, in focus on getting the movie out there and making sure I talk to everybody that um, I haven't had time to really soak it in just yet, but... It feels good. It, it, it feels like, you know, mission accomplished. People are satisfied with what we came out with. Beyond the numbers, uh, honestly, I, I'm just more so concerned if, if people really mess with the film. You know, if they are touched by it, they're walking away with something. And what I'm getting from social media and from the media itself, I think people are responding pretty great, and that, and that makes me feel blessed. Let me tell you how I felt about the movie. I thought the movie, the action scenes were amazing. Like, the fight scenes like, we went and saw Creed 1, and I don't think the audience reacted the way that they reacted to Creed 2. When I tell you people were clapping and cheering and ooing and eyeing and feeling every hit throughout the, every fight, I was, like, shot. We, we, it felt like we were actually watching a prize fight. <laughs> yeah, no, I did a lot of research, man. Like, I was going to fights. I was going to Deontay Wilder and Ortiz fight. I was like, all these, you know, uh, the Earl Spence fight. And just, like, that's how the energy is. You know what I mean? Like, when, when someone gets a punch or anything, like, people are up on their feet, and I wanted to capture that. You know what I mean? I felt like I've never seen that in a boxing movie. Usually in a boxing film, they're on their feet from jump to finish, whereas this one, you highlight those moments, and I got in the ring with the camera, and I made sure people felt the punches. You know, I, I had a I had a cheat code on this one. I had a huge, scary-looking dude versus our hero that everyone loves, Adonis Creed, a.k.a. Michael B. Jordan. And so, uh, you know, I played with the emotions on that fight, man, and, and, and definitely did a little ping-pong effect where there were times where he was winning, there were times he was losing. You were scared and you felt good, you know, so I'm glad people were on the edge of their seat. Now, you know, the, the thing I think, I, I also said that the movie was kind of predictable, but in, in the sense that all Rocky films are kind of <laughs> predictable, but the thing that I think you... Predictable, yeah. Before, you know, I, I'm not trying to take it into this, but... But but I was super surprised how you got us to feel for um, for Drago and, and the family. I didn't I didn't expect that at all. You know what I'm saying? I didn't expect that. I didn't expect the yeah. the, the tenderness of the Michael B uh, of the Creed character and the baby. And it was a lot of stuff that I didn't expect outside of the fighting. No, completely, man. I think uh, well, one, you're right. Like if you're going into fights, you get either one win or two lose. Right. Right. So right. It's only so much you could do with a sports film. I think for me, even when I saw Creed 1, I knew that he was going to lose the last match because of the format. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it was similar to Rocky 1, you know, where Rocky lost. And so I knew what was going to happen. It's about how you get there, you know. And when I got the script, Slide mastered this formula, man. Like, that's his format. That's what you go to see a Rocky movie for. 
For me, it was like, how do you make people feel differently during the fight? That's by giving them exciting matchups. And then two, emotionally, how do you elevate the stakes? And that's what the baby comes in. That's when the relationship comes in and the proposal and, and Rocky and his kid and everything just kind of falls into place. The Dragos, they got some emotional weight on their side, you know, and, and how the fight ends. You know, I felt like the way we ended the matchup were ways that you never saw in the Rocky film. Right. You know what I mean? Even right. though you knew who was going to win and who was going to lose, I was like, I have to switch it up somehow. And what's the natural way to switch it up while still having layers behind the characters? But, no, I totally get it. Yeah, people come to me like, oh, I knew this was going to happen once this happened in the middle of the movie. And I'm like, yeah, if you watch Rocky 3 and Rocky 4, exactly. like, those you are it. the same format. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that was one thing that the studio and Sly was, like, adamant about keeping alive. He's like, look, I know it's going to be a challenge, but, like, this this thing works. You know what I mean? It, it becomes a comeback story. Right. And, um, and, and, I, and I mess with that, man. As someone who respects the franchise, I was like, all right, let me just put my own spin on it. And they allowed me to do that. Now, Steven, uh, let, let's go back to the relationship of, of Sylvester Stallone and Michael B. Jordan. The first movie, you know, it's like uh, it's Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler are like, you know, our version of Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. You know what I'm saying? So talk to so me. Denzel, Denzel and Spike Lee. Denzel and Spike Lee. <laughs> no, exactly. And so talk to me about going into a franchise. First, you're going into a franchise that is decades long. And two, you're going into, you're replacing the guy that, you know, Michael B. Jordan is super comfortable with as a director. How did you have to, how did you work that out? Uh, good question, man. Because I always look at it as going into the franchise and, and more so not, you know, stepping in and Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan's like relationship. I think part of the reason is, you know, we're talking to Mike and talking to Sly. You know what I mean? Like, and, and Ryan Coogler is still being involved. Okay. I think it would be a different scenario if I was like, let's do a sequel to the movie, not have Ryan involved, and it's my own idea. Now I'm competing with the dude, or, you know, I might be stepping up. But it felt like we were all working together. You know what I mean? So, and there were things that I paid homage to myself, not Ryan did it. I got, it was things that I wanted to bring from Creed 1 into Creed 2 because I felt like it was his own franchise. Um, it, it was difficult, you know what I mean? It was a lot of pressure stepping into the seat, if that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it started to, it goes away when you're kind of focused on the goal at hand, which everyone was, which is how do we make it just as good as the first one and how do we keep the franchise alive and, and everyone's passion behind it. So it didn't feel like I was an intruder, if that made any sense. Like, right. it's a, like me and Mike clicked instantly. You know, me and Sly yeah. clicked. The day we met, and he was in his crib showing me, you know, clips of Rocky and introduced me to his family. So I'm, I'm a pretty, I would say, down to earth dude. I didn't come in with any ego. I did come in with the, with the, uh, with the mindset to make it as good as not better. Right. But everyone had that, and so um, I had the team support, you know. So I and, know and, that that took away the pressure. If that makes sense. And no, no, it makes complete sense. And and talk to me about because let's let's get to it uh, about your background a little bit, man. You're 30 years old. You're a young dude, oh. like like Ryan Coogler was when he when he did this. You guys are both young African American directors, and you know people know you from the land that you dropped in 2016. Talk to me about just being a young African American director, getting this opportunity because Sylvester Stallone, I think he perp- you know he purposely got Ryan for the first one and purposely got you for the second one because you're young and you're hungry. So talk to me about being a young African-American yeah, and yeah. Sly giving you that no, opportunity, that's bro. That's love, man. Yeah, with Sly stepping in there and being like, you know, let the younger voices, the younger generation have it, that's huge to us. You know what I mean? Um, like, that that helps us open doors. You know, the fact that Ryan Coogler, he's a producer on this one. You know what I mean? Like, wow. he's one of the people who brought up my name at the, at the round table. 
you know, and I feel like, like you talked about, like the Spike Lee's, or we did, you know, going through that kind of DeMar Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Like, if you looked at it, like, back in the day, Spielberg was helping George Lucas. George Lucas was producing a Spielberg movie. Like, it was all this, like, camaraderie, and they, they kind of took over Hollywood. Right. Um, and for us, I was like, we need more of that on a bigger level, you know, so for us to have Ryan Cougar, Michael B. Jordan as producers, have myself on as a director. I brought on a black writer who's 32 years old named Joel. You know, and like we were like we're in it, you know, and it feels good because we feel like we're part of a movement. And I feel like that's more important to me than the actual movie. To be totally honest with you, um, that was one of the reasons why I was excited about the project. Cause I was like, wait, Cougar's producing, Mike's in it, Tessa Thompson's in it. I could bring on a fighter. It's Man, myself. That's like, amazing. Yo, this, I, I don't get to see that often. I don't see that often. So all ego to the side. Yes, I'm stepping into you know a place where Ryan Cooper killed it. But yet, most importantly, as a group, we're tackling on, you know, uh, the issue that we have in Hollywood, which is we need more black directors and creators and producers. And another thing about you is you're not just a director. You, you're, you're a writer, too. And, and I know what's coming down the pipeline is uh, you wrote, uh, I don't know if it's a script, if I'm saying it right, you wrote a script for the Emmett Till uh, story. Is it, is, am I right oh, on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote an Emmett Till pilot. Yeah, yeah. I wrote an Emmett Till pilot. Uh, it had Jay-Z and uh, Will Smith producing. Um, it was at HBO. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. It's a tough project to get made because people are scared of it, man. Oh, for real? So, like so, it's, so right now, it's it's on the shelf right now. It's on the shelf right now. Oh yeah. wow! Even with Will it's and, and Jay Z, what, what what's the difficult? I mean, when you have Jay Z and Will, you think they would get it done? I thought so too. Um, but man, it's a very t- like well, at the time we were writing it. Even Carolyn Bryant came out, you know, and said that what she said was basically a lie. She's the one who, uh, in the till, supposedly whistled that, right? You know, he said that, oh, you know, he jumped over the counter, grabbed me by the wrist, and basically almost slightly almost raped me at that incident. And that was a lie. You know, it turned right. out to be a lie. And the research showed it, but she, it was openly talked about in a few books, in the books that we, we actually have the rights to. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one, man. I think, I think people are a little bit scared of it. Because uh, it, it uncovers the ugliness of the system as well, and so um, we'll see, man. All I can say is we'll see what happens yes, next. Uh, if I have any power, any clout in trying to get this thing made, I will. If, if John Singleton is also trying to make a feature with Taraji P, and I hope that goes off. Like the movie just needs to go out, or right. the show needs to go out. Like people need to know the truth because I think it'll definitely help us look at what's wrong with our system today. Yeah. Even though it's a story 50 plus years ago, it still correlates very well with what's going on today. Well, Stephen Cable Jr., man, I, like I said, it's an honor to get to know you, to, to hear more about you because, you know, I think what you guys are doing in Hollywood is amazing right now. Uh, let the people know how they can follow you on social media. Uh, at Stephen Cable Jr. dot uh, com. At, at Stephen Cable Jr., man. Instagram, Twitter, just my full name, you know, all together. Um, and just show love, man. I'm here to you know, inspire, ask questions, feel free. Please support Stephen Capel Jr. with all his future projects because this young brother is, I believe, going to be one of the future stars in Hollywood. All right? Now, before we get out of here, I have to have this conversation with my girl Pinky, the owner of Slutty Vegan, to talk to her about all her success. Here it goes. Okay, we're here in the brick-and-mortar Slutty Vegan building now. Yeah, my girl Pinky. How you doing? I am amazing. Like, this feels great. I can't believe that so many people are here to support for this soft opening. And it's just an amazing feeling to know that this whole concept turned into something beautiful. Yeah, so let's talk about the concept real quick. You know, we've had you on, on the William Moore Jr. show yes. a few times. You talked about losing a, a store in New York. Yes. It burned down, and yes. you were able to build up from that. Yes. 
how did you come across coming to Atlanta and getting a food truck? Well, um, I moved here for work. I was working in the television industry for the last 10 years, um, and I got a great opportunity. Well, I was working for um, as a casting director for Yala Fix My Life. So I came to Atlanta. Um, we relocated for the show. And when I got here, um, I wanted to create something again. I had the restaurant. It burned down after two years. So I wanted to try something new and try something different. So I came up with this vegan concept. Uh, it was junk, junk food vegan because I couldn't find anywhere in Atlanta, not many places to go to to get Atlanta, junk food vegan food. Um, and when I came up with the concept, like everything came after that so I came up with the idea came up with the names and it was it was effortless so I started putting together recipes tasting stuff and it all came together and then I started cooking in a shared kitchen and then after uh, prep ATL okay so I was in prep ATL for um, about two weeks the first week nobody else nobody came to uh, the kitchen like about four people and then the next week after that I had about a hundred people out the door Wow literally and how long ago was this how long ago was the shared kitchen um, so I started in the shared kitchen August 6th um, and then three weeks later I got a truck and then three weeks after that I got the restaurant so you so you're telling me that from August till now is, is how, how long everything yeah. took to get going. Yeah. So in a span of like six, seven months. It's, it hasn't even been six months. We're at five and a half months. Jeez. Yeah. So so what can you what can you say is like the, the secret behind the marketing? Because everyone's seen the lines, like three-hour waits. Well, the secret is there is no secret. Like everything I do, I move with transparency, and I let people see like the process. And people have fallen in love with the journey, and that's the most beautiful piece of everything, you know? Because there's no secrets here. Like you're building this business. Like how we're building this business. Like you feel like you're a part of it because you see the process. You see when I get my permits. You know what I mean? You see when I'm doing my building. You yeah. see when everything is coming together. So now we've created family. Right. So now when you come to get your burger, not only are you coming to support your family, you're coming for the experience. I don't know if you noticed, but I don't sell, I don't I don't put pictures of the burgers on the Instagram page. Right. I put reviews. So mm -hmm. I'm selling opinion. Yeah. You know? So it's the most beautiful feeling because people are buying into the opinion of a healthier alternative to eating meat. So it's just a beautiful feeling all the way around. And, and for people that, that, that don't know, like, what, where did this slutty vegan idea come from? In my two-bedroom apartment one day. <laughs> and I know that, you know, eating slutty is almost like being able to indulge in the things that you love, right? Right. So it has nothing to do with sex. Even right. though we know that sex sells, yeah. right? But it's getting people to pay attention to a different way of eating, and you don't have to eat the flesh of an animal for it to be good. Was this part of the plan? Like, when you thought about this, no. like, what... When did this become a reality? Like you know, when it's a, this is going to happen. This 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 building is going to be a possibility for me. Well, it actually came to me. One of my customers reached out to me and told me that the building was available, and I took it. I took the opportunity, and it happened so fast. Like God is so good because mm -hmm. I didn't have to beg, borrow, steal. I didn't have to do any of that, and everything right. came together. And it's just amazing feeling. So for anybody out there that that has a dream like this, who's who's come back from adversity, that is wants to build something of their own, what's your advice to them? Don't give up. Like, whatever that thing is that you think about all the time, like, do not give up. Anything that you want can be yours. All you got to do is believe because when you stay ready, you never got to get ready. Try hard, work hard, block out the noise, block out the naysayers. And anything you want, it'll happen for you just in a matter of time. Whenever you're in Atlanta, make sure you find Slutty Vegan, 1542 Ralph David Apernathy Boulevard in Atlanta, Georgia, all right? Also, you follow them on Instagram, Slutty Vegan ATL, to see where their truck is daily. Well, except for Sundays, but daily, all right? Well, that does it for episode two. Thank you so much for checking out the Mind of Med podcast. I will see y'all next week. Peace.